back to our core values, uh, I, I kind of cast a vision what I think the Lord wants us to really focus on in terms of core values and, and who we are as a church. And a lot of it's just articulating really what we are already, but um, you'll see some backgrounds changing next week and that kind of give us a constant reminder. But the first thing is that the presence of, of God is something that is a core value for our house. We believe that the presence of God is real, that he's tangible, that he's with us, and uh, that we can have an encounter to be an encounter. And um, this isn't just a theory, but he's real. And uh, you can encounter him while on earth. And, uh, and we also believe in the power of prayer, that prayer is powerful, that prayer changes things. We believe in healing prayer. We believe that God hears our prayers, and we believe that prayer is uh, something that God has asked us to do. And so it's not just, uh, we're not just babbling for the sake of babbling, but uh, prayers are effective and powerful. We believe in the, uh, in the power of sanctification. We believe in transformation. We believe that the Holy Spirit can transform us and that it's not just behavior modification, but you can actually be delivered of your strongholds and the things that the enemy has tried to ensnare you with. You can actually be delivered of those things. And uh, you can walk in freedom and you can walk in power. And transformation can happen, not just in your family, but in, in your life, but in your family and the generations of your family. Like curses that you've been struggling with will be broken. And you can start a new line through Jesus Christ that is free from drunkenness, free from addictions, free from anger, free from bitterness, free from lust. That this sanctification, this transformation process is something that's real. We also believe in the power of evangelism. We believe that evangelism is not just a call on one man or woman who can stand on stage and preach the gospel, but we have the Holy Spirit and he's the best evangelist and he co-labors with us to share the gospel with our community. And so uh, we will talk about all those themes throughout the year and get them in us. And, um, and so as we talked about uh, the presence of God, we talked about that uh, the presence of God is something that we carry, that when we have the presence of God, the blessing of God comes with us. So we talked about the, the Ark of the Covenant that was in Obed-Edom's house, and, and it happened to be in Obed-Edom's house. My goodness. Obed-Edom, his house, that man's house. And, uh, and, and the blessing and favor of God came to him, even though he wasn't an Israelite, even though he wasn't, um, uh, necessarily uh, uh, supposed to have the Ark of the Covenant, but because he housed the presence, all favor and all uh, glory, and uh, his whole, whole family was affected. And actually, when David heard about this, he wanted the presence of God with him. He realized, what was I doing leaving it there? And so, um, and so then we also talked about presence being in community, that that the presence of God is powerful when it's in when we are a community, the presence of God shows up. And that it's not just about us being isolated by ourselves, but actually us being carriers of the presence as a community. And for those streaming online who are joining us who cannot be here for many different reasons, I want you to know that we consider you a part of our community as well. And we love you. There's many of you who used to be here but can't. And, um, and one day I know you will be again, and we just want to say we love you. We are still part of our community, and uh, I didn't mean to leave you guys out last week. I, I know you're there, and you're, you're faithful. Many of you are faithful. Um, but community is not just actually doing church. 
It's not just coming and, 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 and singing some songs and, and watching the preacher and, uh, and, and leaving, saying hi for si- five seconds and leaving. Communities doing life together, working together. Actually, the, hard, the hardship, it, it takes work to be a community. It doesn't just come to you. You sacrifice. You actually care for one another. You carry one another's burdens. And, and when that happens, it might feel difficult. But you know what? You feel how amazing. First of all, it's a super huge blessing to do it. And you feel the presence of God within that. And then also, when you actually end up going through a hardship and your community comes around you, you realize, wow, I don't have to carry this all alone. This is what community is about. And so um, we're not just a church. You know, I, I, I said it last night, but, you know, American uh, evangelicalism and some other denominations. We've we've kind of uh, we've kind of made church into a spectator sport. It's like what church you go? I go to that church, and oh really? How long you been going? I've been going for years. Yeah, I just come, I watch, I say hi, I leave. It's like well, you experience some of church, you know. But it's not a spectator sport. Jesus never expected it to be a spectator sport. He wanted you to get involved. He wanted you to lay your life down. He wanted you to, to pick up your cross, follow him, be a family together, and, and, uh, and reach out to one another. And so we want to break the bondage of isolation that often tries to ensnare us and and, uh, you know, if you're at home and you can't be with us, but you need someone to visit you and you're streaming, reach out to us. Reach out to some people here because maybe they can visit you. I mean, this, you know, one of the things that convicts me so much, this isn't my message, forgive me, I'll, I'll take that plane off soon. But one of the things that, you know, it's like when Jesus says, like, you know, I, I was thirsty and uh, you gave me a drink and I was hungry and, 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 and you visit, and, and I was in prison, and, and, the, and the disciples were like, Jesus, when were you ever thirsty? When were you ever hungry? When were you ever in prison? And he said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it unto me. You know, and I, I challenged myself. I was like, when's the last time I visited someone in prison? When's the last time I, I fed someone? When's the last time I gave someone a drink? This is community life. And, um, and so anyway, Presence of God is within community. Actually, uh, we talked about the presence of God, and the most common word for the presence of God in the Bible uh, is in the Hebrew language when they reference it, and it's, it, 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 it's synonym for face. Having his face. Seeing his face. I mean, well, oftentimes when we think of the presence of God, we think of like this atmospheric thing. We think of like this essence of God, and it's like he's, like we, we get like a part of him, or like the smell of him. But the reality is, is when you're, we're talking about the presence of God, you're actually engaging who he is. Now, of course, in his mercy and in some mystery, the Holy Spirit is with us because if you've received Christ, if Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, you have the Holy Spirit within you and you have God within you. And so the presence of God is that close to you. He's right there. He's not far, but we kind of are deceived into thinking that he's just a, it's just a piece of him, or it's just like the essence of him. It's like, you know, um, people who wear a lot of cologne and you know what room they were in. You know what I mean? 
You're like, they were here. They're not here now, but I know they were here because I can smell them. That's how we think God engages us. Like, we can, we can experience this part of him, but the reality is, no, when, when he's there, he's present. Presence is a word for present. He's with you. He's, he's, he's with you. And so um, I want to know that panim, which is translated face, implies this close and personal encounter that he wants to have with us. And, and when we look at the Israelites, we know that the Israelites, you know, it, it's... <laughs> You know, as church, we were talking about a spectator sport. It's like, you know, at church, we, we focus on gathering around a sermon week after week. But the reality is the Israelites gathered around the presence week after week. Now, this is the word of God, and we will never not hear the word of God or pray and, and read this word and decipher and, 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 and try to understand it more and and the, the fact is that the majority of Christians don't read their Bible. And I know not you guys, you guys all read your Bible, but, but the majority weekly do not read their Bible. And, um, and some expect that, they, that, that they're supposed to read their Bible only in church. And the reality is, no, you're supposed to like read your word weekly, daily, really daily, daily and, uh, and, and throughout the week. And, and so it's like, if you're asking me to spoon feed you and that's your only diet, well, you're going to feel atrophied. You're going to feel a lack of nutrition because you need it every week. But the reality is, is, is this word uh, uh, is you can know. Let me tell you that. Let me just say it this way. You can know a lot about God and never know him. You can know every word of this Bible in Hebrew and Greek and not know him. Satan knows the word probably better than you do and hopefully not, but he knows the word. Reading love letters and knowing the one who wrote them are two different things. You can read these love letters, do it, but know who wrote them. That happens in the presence you can experience God while you read, read the word as well. Well, let's, let's look in um, our, our, our text today. And, and Jeff, forgive me, Jeff's doing the, the slides this morning. He's such a great man. Jeff Livingston, thank you so much for being faithful and coming. You and your wife are beautiful. You're one of the many in this community who are, are, who are so faithful. Um, but I, I read last night just a portion of our text, and I just want to read um, more context of it. It's in Genesis 3. Uh, last night I just read verses 6 through 8, but I want to start with verse 1. And this is the beginning of the fall. And so it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? It's like the serpent was the first Decepticon that ever existed. Somehow Satan used that beast in that manner. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called out to the man to say to him, where are you? Wow, there's so many layers to this story that you could easily miss it while you read it. And I will not be able to unfold much of it this morning. But there's something that was a dynamic that was happening in this sinless generation that knew God in such a pure and innocent way that was robbed from them. How did this happen and how many stages did this happen in? You know, some of us look at it and it's like, boom, it was in an instant. But no, I actually, when you study what was going on there, there was first a lie that was told and a lie that was believed. And once the man and his, the, the woman and the man, uh, Adam and Eve, heard this lie and believed this lie, then they acted this sin out. Oftentimes, sin will start with a lie that you believe. And the Decepticon, Satan, the deceiver, I think that's what, well, Decepticon's from Transformers, but you know, what? It's a good one, okay. Just came to me. The deceiver, Satan, the liar, the one who takes truth and perverses it, the one who can't create anything, but takes what's created and, and, and perverses it, Right? It's like, how do you tell the difference between a $100 bill and a, a fake one and a real one? You know how they, you know, the, the uh, Secret Service is the one that's in charge of, of tracking fraudulent money. And actually, I don't know why, but for some reason, they're the ones who do it. And, uh, and, and there's uh, fraudulent money throughout uh, uh, America that's being processed and made to look just like real money. And, um, and actually, in Home Depot, uh, there was an employee arrested because he had... Um, switched out $400,000 worth of fake bills with real ones over a period of years. And do you know how they teach uh, Secret Service agents how to tell the difference between a, a fake $100 bill and a real $100 bill? They don't have them study the fake ones. They have them study the real ones. They have them study the real one so much that when they encounter a fake one, they know immediately it's fake. How do you know what's a lie is you study the truth. You don't study lies. You be with the one who is the truth maker, not the deceiver. And so 
This lie was believed, and now this sin had entered into the innocence and purity of Adam and Eve, and immediately the perverseness had taken place, and they realized that they were naked, and they knew that they had to cover themselves up, and in addition to that, they knew they had to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. Sin will make you hide yourself from God's presence. It'll make you run away from it. Some of us do it subconsciously, not realizing it. We, we're, we get so involved, and some of us think, well, I'm not like morally sinning. You know, I'm not like cheating on my wife or my husband. I'm not like, you know, uh, 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 embezzling money. I'm not, you know, but it, oftentimes it's in these often subtle ways that we start getting so uh, uh, fixed upon things that don't really matter. We leave God out of it. We allow sin to enter into our lives and we start letting things that are in high places build altars to other things called idols. And that becomes this new thing in our life and we end up hiding ourselves from God's presence and we run from it. And um, innocence is taken. I, I wanted to share a few pictures, you know, uh, when I was uh, uh, at my parents' house a few years ago, I took some pictures of pictures of myself. Like they had like pictures of me, and I was like, "Oh, look at that! I don't have that picture anywhere." So you know, when you don't have a digital picture of something, you take a picture of that picture. So I took a picture of the picture, and uh, and 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 they came up as a reminder, and I was like, "Let me share some of these." This is me when I was in first grade. Yeah, I, it was a big graduation day for me. And uh, I guess those were my teachers. A secret is um, I failed first grade. I don't know how. I don't know if I failed the sandbox or something. But they're like, we're going to keep you back a year. And I think I was just too immature. So anyway, that was me. And then uh, I started to grow up. I, I, I went hunting uh, with my friend Bobby Baker. I'm in the camo on the right and, uh, and I, I shot a snake with a BB gun. Uh, poor snake, I'm sorry. Um, that's as far as I've gotten, Tyler. You're gonna have to catch me up because I don't know how to hunt after that. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that's me, and, uh, and I did have hair. And then, um, and then my sister went to cosmetology school, and uh, she was in 10th grade, and, um, <laughs> And I saw on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, I actually looked it up, uh, November 21st, 1995, Brian Austin Green, was, uh, who used to play in 90210, was uh, doing a Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. I liked his haircut, and I asked my sister if she could make my hair look like his, and she decided his hair looked like Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber. And, um, and so that's me thinking I looked cool at a wedding. Very innocent. I had no idea. I had no idea. I started to evolve in uh, eighth grade. I finally, um, you know, got my part going. I parted my hair down the middle right there, which last night I, I was told the part in the middle is coming back. So I was, I was like, wow, I'll never be able to do it again. But I never thought the part would come back, the middle part. But, um, you know, I was innocent. I actually, you know, uh, it was around that year. You can take that down. Thanks, Chip. It was around that year that I actually... Uh, really uh, came t in my own conversion. I experienced God in such a radical way. I uh, was reading the Psalms. I was going to youth group reading the Psalms. 
And, um, and I wanted a clean heart like David. And I said, Jesus, would you give me a clean heart? And I accepted Christ in my life. And, and I experienced the tears that often happen in conversion. And, uh, and, I, and I knew I was saved. And I was on fire for the Lord for so many years. Um, and, um, and then I started to believe a lie. And I started to allow lust to fill my heart and greed to fill my heart. And I started to go after things of the world uh, towards the end of high school. And I found myself in some pretty compromising positions. And uh, I didn't realize what really was uh, at the center of it until I actually got some inner healing at an older age. And I remember believing a lie um, when, when I was a, uh, my, my father, he was a, a smoker, like an avid Smoker. He uh, was smoking since he was 12 years old, um, and uh, and you know for years the family and I um, we would try to get my father to quit smoking, and uh, we would break his cigarettes and hide them. And I remember him being so angry that we were doing that that I, I realized okay this is really important to my father, so I stopped doing that. And then a few years later he ends up coming home from church, he, he used to smoke out in the parking lot with some other ushers, and um, <laughs> apparently it was, it was all right. So uh, him, and, him and Mickey Santangelo used to smoke cigarettes in the parking lot with their suits and whatnot. But anyway, so uh, one day my dad comes home from, from church because he was ushering, he drove separate, and, and uh, he said, uh, hey, I'm giving up smoking. And, the whole family was like rejoicing. And, he, and we said, why? What, what happened? He said, you know, this little boy, Jimmy Tomlinson, came up to me and said, don't you realize you're going to die if you keep smoking? He goes, it just hit me, and I just, I can't keep doing this. And he gave it up. And, and even though that was so great for my father, for me, I, I didn't realize this, but through inner healing, uh, the Holy Spirit revealed that uh, I actually believed a lie that day that my dad didn't really care what I thought. You know what's crazy is that no matter how hard you try without the Holy Spirit's help, you naturally will project how your father treated you to how you feel the heavenly father sees you. Oftentimes we project our own earthly parents onto our heavenly father and, uh, and some, some of the great things about our parents is great that, that we realize that, but parents aren't perfect. God knows I'm not. And so unknowingly and knowingly, parents sometimes hurt their children in certain ways. And my father uh, unknowingly had hurt me in that way. And, uh, and so there was an a innocence that was taken because I started to let sin in my life. And I ran from God. I ran from God so hard uh, uh, that these, these lies ended up manifesting into sin. And, and uh, I, I uh, had ended up going through a divorce and, and, going, and finding myself in some really dark places. You know, you never realize how dark things are until you're in a dark place. And sometimes a little piece of light will try to come in because the Lord is after you and he doesn't want you to stay in that dark place. In John 3, 20, it says, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to light for fear that his deeds or, uh, will be exposed. And I remember being in such a dark place at, at a place that I should not have been at. And, uh, and I remember uh, shaking literally shaking because the Holy Spirit was trying to get me to leave. I knew it was the Lord because I had experienced him before. And I remember telling the Lord, I wanna be here. I wanna be in this dark place. 
See, sin brings shame, and shame makes you want to hide from God's presence. Shame's going to keep you from God's presence. And the reality is, is we need to break the lie that when we come to the light, God's going to reject us. Shame tells us that we do not deserve to be loved. Shame tells us that if we tell people the truth about where we are in life or about what we're going through in life, everyone will abandon us. That's a lie. But that's what shame tells you. See, conviction is different than shame. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit, and it tells you that you are in need of a savior. You're in need of help. You're in need of restoration. And so when the Holy Spirit convicts you with his presence, it's unto restoration. Even if there's a consequence for your actions, like, you know, you rob a bank, you're gonna have a consequence. Jesus will make you whole and walk you through that consequence and sometimes miraculously get you out of it by a miracle. Brene Brown, she, uh, she's a clinical researcher and she wrote on um, vulnerability, um, uh, uh, shame, and belonging. And, uh, and actually during her journey of study, she became uh, a Christian and she actually wrote a quote uh, that I wanted to talk about that identifies shame. And I, I thought she, she did a good job. It says this, shame is the intense, painful telling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging something we've experienced, done, or failed to do that makes us unworthy of connection. This is what shame tells us. This is the lie that the enemy wants to speak into you. When Jesus wants to restore you, why? So that you can have his presence again, that you can have his presence again. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, do you not know that your bodies, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? When we receive Christ, we receive the Spirit of Christ. He is with us. Romans 8.9, it says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Christ is in us, we have his presence, and when we come into the light and we say, God, I'm in a place where I need your restoration, here's the ugliness, here's my brokenness, here's my shame, he says, get rid of these fig leaves, I'm going to cover you which is symbolic. He made a sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve, but the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ came to cover all humanity. That whoever would believe in the name of Jesus can be saved and can be restored unto God again. And now that this shame is gone, you can now live this life. You can come into his presence with boldness. Now, why do we not activate the presence of God? Why do we not always feel him? Well, one, we're called believers, not feelers. Right? My friend Bill Johnson told me that. I said, you know, that's true. We don't feel things, and that's why we believe them. We believe things, and sometimes we feel them. Whether you feel it or not, God's presence is with you. 
It's by faith that we access these things. And so, one, I think there's a belief issue. Sometimes we don't believe that he's always with us. Even though the word says it, even though the apostle Paul talks about it, we have this mental block that we say when we come into God's presence in church, he's with us. When we go into the car and have a conversation with our spouse over something like what restaurant to eat and we fight, I'm just making up a scenario. It doesn't really happen probably, but he's not with us. Right? No, what the problem is is that we, we, we forget, and then we forget to activate our faith to realize that he's actually with us. Now, the presence of God does manifest in different ways, and in his mercy, I think he does this. What, what happens? We feel tremendous peace when there's chaos. That's God's presence saying, hey, if you forgot, I'm with you. We feel joy when maybe we shouldn't feel joy. We feel the love of God. We feel sometimes electricity flow through our bodies. Sometimes we laugh and laugh and laugh. Have you ever had the joy of the Lord come over you and you actually laugh? It's good. It's that good laugh that you just, man, you're just so happy. It's like a, a joy, a spring bubbling up in you. Sometimes you uh, feel the compassion and love of God so much that you cry. How many criers do we have in here? Oh, yeah. It's like one of the number one manifestations when God's presence shows up as you cry. And that's okay. What's that? That's why we have tissues. That's right. It's not for colds. It's for crying. And so his presence can be with us. So one is that we have a belief issue. And I think we, we need to identify that and say, okay, God, we believe you that you're with us. And the other thing is that we have a forget issue is that we, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to remind us and we need to behave in a way that we remember that his presence is with us. Like when we're about to go into that big meeting and we don't know how to uh, uh, respond, we don't know how to engage, we don't, maybe we're a little hesitant, we have to remember, Holy Spirit, you're with us. We're about to talk to our children or our spouse or our uh, family members and we're about to come into conflict and confrontation and we have to go, you know what, God's with me. Holy Spirit, remind me that you're with me. We have to behave in a manner that, that he's with us, that we remember that. And so we wanna create a habitation for his presence. And I just wanna sum, sum up in these three different points to create a habitation for his presence as a church. One, I want us to continually break off the religious spirit that tries to rise up within us. There's a spirit of religion that tries to replace his presence. When there's an absence of his presence, religion will try, the religious spirit will try to take charge. We need to break that off. We have to come to the understanding that we're all not gonna look alike. We're, all, we're not all gonna wear the same clothes. We're not all gonna have a part down the middle. That's called a cult. I don't want us to be a cult. I want us to be a community, a collective group of people who are totally different from one another but love Jesus with a passion, have a real value for his presence. And when it looks different, when, when, when God moves and it looks different, we don't get freaked out. We say, you know what? God's here. Let the leaders judge the fruit. 
Sometimes God's gonna move and it, it, that religious spirit might rise up and we go, I don't know if that's God or not, but you know what, for me, I just wanna be slow to judge because I'd rather wanna see the fruit. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit, not by their roots. So if someone's moving around in a way that's like, that's not how I would do it, you know, I'm just gonna see. Does that person love more after that? Does that person have more patience? That person, uh, is that person receive a gifting of the Holy Spirit that, that moves? Is, is, is there maturity happening in their life? Are they loving their spouse more after that, that encounter? That's judging the fruit. If I judge it because, you know, they, um, they're, they're, you know, laughing or crying hysterically and I go, I don't think that's God. I'm, I'm just a little slow to judge. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be wrong. I'd rather, I'd rather be wrong, not stopping it when it might be God, than stopping it when it is God. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying that I'm looking for the most eccentric, weird manifestation. I'm not looking for it. You, you could have the peace of God come over you and not even say a word. I might not even realize it and it might be powerful. You get set free from an addiction like that or a stronghold in your life and not one person said, laid a hand on you, anything like that and God did it and it's like, wow, that happens. But it also happens other ways. And his presence will come in here. So I want us to continually be aware of a religious spirit and break that off. Um, I also want us to uh, be aware of a critical spirit that cuts down and doesn't build up. There's constructive criticism and then there's criticism that's not constructive. And I think oftentimes when God's presence starts to move, sometimes we get a critical eye about things and we start to interpret God's presence in how he moves in our life. Well, he doesn't move in my life the way he's moving in that life, so I'm not sure if that's really God. Let us be aware of this critical spirit that tries to rise up, even in our church and in our families. And then finally, I just, as a church, I want us to stop living off our last encounter. I don't wanna talk about how God used to move here and how wonderful it was, even though that's okay to remember those things. But that's not my goal. My goal is to encounter God today. My goal is to encounter God in this season. My goal is to say, God, what are you doing? We wanna partner with it. We want to encounter you in that. And so the, the importance of, of not living your, your own life off your last encounter. Like, be honest with God and say, God, when's the last time I really had a powerful encounter with you? When's the last time I sensed your presence in an overwhelming sense? God, I'm, I, wanna, I wanna challenge, I, I want you to challenge me, God. I, I want to be in a place where I encounter you so faithfully. I don't want to live off stale bread. I want to live off daily bread. I want to live off of current word. I want to experience you in a way that I haven't uh, before. I want to. I want to. I, I want to experience you like like um, uh, uh, Ethan had said so so well. I don't want to just uh, enjoy uh, the same meal and get used to it and be so familiar with it that I don't value it anymore. God, I want to experience you like like it's fresh again. I want this fresh bread. 
Ephesians 2, 18 through 22, I was, I was reading, we're getting ready for our, our foundations class for, for people who are uh, new members and are joining our, our, our church. You've been here maybe even for two years up to this point because I don't think we've done it in a while. But um, you, we're, we're, we're doing uh, uh, meals and we're doing, uh, uh, we're gonna kind of talk about the foundations of our church. And, and so I'm reviewing the handbook for it. And as I'm reviewing the handbook, uh, uh, our founder, um, uh, Pastor Allen and Gail, they have this verse in here, and I said, this is the verse for our church, obviously, but also for this service. It says, for through we, him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In the last verse, in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place by God's spirit, by God, by the spirit, for God, by the spirit. We are being built into a dwelling place for God to inhabit. So I wanna invite you to stand. You know, I really struggled with this message because I said, God, this is four messages, not one. We talked about shame, we talked about sin. And I think that the reality is, is that our, I wanted to identify that sin, which brings shame, will always keep you from God's presence. And I wanted to break that this morning. If you're having shame in your life over decisions you've made, over things that were done to you and you've not been able to encounter God. Some of you don't even realize it, but you're limiting the expression of God in your life and the presence of God in your life because there's shame you're carrying you need to release to him. You're hiding from God and you don't even know it. If that's you, bring it to the light. Confess it to God. Identify it. God, I did do this, and I'm sorry, and this was done to me, and I feel so shameful. And watch how Jesus heals that moment. And watch the presence that follows that. It's powerful. And I also wanted to identify that as his presence comes, and as we become a people of his presence, that we would only stand for what is true, what is loving, what is honorable, and we would not align ourselves with a religious spirit, a critical spirit. And we would ask God to identify those things in us so that we can live a life that's true and pure without any attachments to the things of this world. When God's absent, when his presence is absent, we start to replace him with other things. And sometimes we think those things are even good and they're actually just religious. They're forms of man and not forms of God. I was talking to a pastor the other, uh, and uh, he took over a church She's no longer a pastor. It actually got so wiped out because this church got so religious 
that someone, he was telling me a story, he said someone moved the communion table like from the center to the side or from like the side to the lobby and there was such an uproar, there was a church split about it and he wasn't even the person who did it. He didn't even know someone moved it. I don't want our church to get that spirit. I know a lot of us don't even have it and but just know that who cares how the, church, how the chairs are formed? If God's here, I wanna be here. That's our focus. That's where we're going. That God, we would encounter God in here, that God would, you would encounter God in your home and that you would encounter God wherever you go. So Jesus, I just, let's just pray. Jesus, I just pray right now that you would break off all shame that you would restore our innocence again. Lord, you would even take away the memories that have brought shame. And you would heal them, Lord. God, you would identify in us, Lord, things that we are hiding from. We don't even know. And you're, and you're like, where are you? And we're like, we, you can't see this part of us, God. No, Lord, help us to expose it. Say, yeah, this is where I'm at so that you can bring us into healing and we can experience your presence in a powerful way. Lord, I pray that you would break off any religious spirit in us, in my own life. Lord, may this house not be a house that carries a religious spirit, a critical spirit that cuts down. The spirit that we wanna walk in, Lord, is a spirit that edifies, that builds up, that speaks truth and love. And Jesus, I pray that we would be known as a people of your presence and that our families would be known as a people of your presence. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your presence wherever we go and that we're carriers of it and that we bring it to the tables that we sit around. We bring it to the cars that we drive in. We bring it to the families that we are in. We bring it to the friends that we associate with. We bring it to the strangers. God, I pray that, your pre that we would believe it and we would remember it to be carriers of your presence. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen.